The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Pray all these things, asking that you strengthen what Satan so easily looks to break, and that is people seeking to glorify God together. Thank you, Lord. We ask for wisdom now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, as we come to this time of study, we are in Revelation chapter 7. Our title the last several weeks, several months now, it's been five months into the study, God Wins. God wins. If you can't remember anything else we talk about, you have two little words there that summarize it well. God wins. And it's based upon the word victory, Nike, not the shoe, but the Greek word Nike, which means victory. Christ is the victor, and he is coming again. And so as we stand together, would you join us in reading today Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. You have gotten your workout this morning standing, but we're going to make you do it one more time at least as you do. Revelation chapter 7. If you're new to the Bible or new to us, you can grab one of those Bibles at the end. We're in the very last book, big number 7, small number 1. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, after this, I, that's John, who's recording all this, I, John, saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any thing or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending, verse 3, from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I, John, heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin were also sealed. And verse 9, this is where we'll be today through verse 12. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God. Didn't Jonah say that? Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and thanksgiving and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If you are a Christian here today, this is what is coming for you someday. What an awesome scene it is. And what a great uh, reminder of us that every nation will be represented in heaven. Not just America, not just Great Britain or Iceland or Greenland, if that's your flavor, but every nation. Some you've heard of, some you haven't. But if you know Christ, this is what is coming. Today, I want to continue to answer some questions that we have about this passage in Revelation 7. What is the great multitude? And the, the curious one for a lot of you is, is God done with Israel today? That's going to be a big topic we'll tackle at the end. Will you pray with me this morning? May God give us wisdom. 
And if you're coming in here today and you say, Darren, that's all great, and, but man, my week in relationships, my week at, at, at my job, my finances, my, my walk with the Lord, fill in the blank, this has nothing to do with that. Friend, may I remind you, every time you hear the Word of God preached, there is something there for you. May you have the ears to hear as we hear what God has to say to us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. We hear the words that you've given us, Lord, a lot of numbers and a lot of scenes and a lot of details. But, Father, as we seek to, 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 to mine them out, may Christ be lifted high. May we know more of you. And by your Spirit, would you encourage us today? Would you exhort us today? Would you convict and comfort today, Lord, by your Spirit? Show us what we need. And if there's any among us that don't know Jesus, may this be the day of salvation. We pray and we thank you. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I didn't check this with my wife before because she has lived there for a while, but this is the largest gathering, as you will see on the screen, in the world that happens roughly every 12 years. It is called the Kumba Mila. The Kumba Mila. Has anyone ever heard of this before? I had never in my life heard of this before. This is a picture of India, by the way, and this is where nearly, I'm going to get this right, 110 million people every 12 years come to a local river to wash their sins away. I would not want to drink that water, would you? And this is a picture, and they tried to, with their, with their telescopic wide-angle lens, tried to take a picture. This was the most recent one in 2021. Uh, think about that, 110 million people. That is a third of the United States in one city in northern India taking a bath to wash away sins. It's quite a sight. And I watched a video of it, and it's just its amazing. They, they, have a, they have a lost person's tent. You can imagine how many kids and husbands get lost in those places over there and all that type of thing. And it's quite a thing. You can look it up l later, but it is considered the largest gathering in the world, religious or otherwise. And I was thinking about Revelation chapter 7. I thought, you know, that is amazing. Not amazing because they're doing godly things, perhaps. They're trusting in idols, to be honest. But this is just a small snippet of the mil millions on millions on millions that Revelation chapter 7 will see someday. And it won't just be all Indians or Pakistanis of, of some sort who are there. This will be from every tribe, every nation, and we will be before the throne. And we won't be washing our sins away in some river. We will be washed already by the blood of the Lamb that gave his life for us. And that is the God that we know and the God that we have. And we've been talking these last few weeks about who can stand. If you have your Bible, the end of Revelation chapter 6, we saw that fourth seal opened up and that great question that was asked. And chapter 7 was started in response to that. It said, for the great day of the wrath has come, Revelation six seventeen, and who can stand? Who can stand? And Revelation 7 is an interlude, uh, a little break in the action of, of sorts to say only those who trust in the Lord can stand with the Lord on that day. Look, there's a lot that we don't know about the days ahead, but we do know this. God is ruling, he's reigning, and he is unfolding everything to its great end. And Luke 2.13 will remind you of this. Do you remember when the angels talked to the shepherds that, that great night so long ago? Luke 2.13 reminds us that God, for all eternity, has had a plan. And you'll see that on the, the screen as it comes up. But what in the world were these angels saying? 
So many years ago, they said, and suddenly with the angel, a multitude of a heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and, and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. There were so many angels, they couldn't count them. There are so many people in Revelation 7, they couldn't count them. But I want to remind you, if you know the Lord, this is your lot. You will be given this access to God. But what do we do with this great multitude? Who are they? Where did they come from? Are they just Jewish people or are they Gentiles? Are they a little bit of both? Is it mainly white American suburban Christians or is it black, African, Hispanic, Filipino, whatever else as well? You'd be amazed the answers to those questions depending on who you listen to. But friends, the big idea today I want to submit to you is that the bigger your view of God, the bigger your desire to tell the glory of God to all the peoples of the world. Because on that day, every nation will be represented and on that day, every person from every walk of life will be there as well. Look, God has never been more sovereign. God has never been more game on. God has been never been more focused, if you will, to this end. Our job as Christians is to share the gospel with every single person. And if you're struggling today, if you have kids or grandkids or grown kids that have not responded to the gospel, may I encourage you today to keep on praying, to keep on petitioning, to keep on loving them and pushing them back to that truth. Because the bigger you see God, especially in the passage we're going to read, the more so you want to keep praying for them that they too will be counted in this great multitude. This morning, I want to look at those very things, but I remind you of where we were. We asked three questions last week. The first question we asked last week is Revelation 7 chronologically after Revelation 6. And we said, no, it probably shows what happened right before Revelation 6.12 in the fourth seal. The next question we asked was, who are the 144,000? And I stepped on a lot of your toes last week, and I'm sorry, but not sorry, at the same time, and we hugged it out, and we made up for it. But who are the 144,000? Are they, are they Jewish evangelists? Is this a literal thing? And I argued probably this is a symbolic number, that the 144 represent the people of God for all time from all nations, not just the Jews. And then we talked about that ceiling on the forehead. What is that seal on the forehead that we read in verses uh, uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 7? We said, first off, that seal was an objective seal, that you are his. That seal, spiritually speaking, shows that you're God's. It's not a literal written seal on your head, but spiritually it's there to mark you off as God's own person. But it is also a seal of subjectivity. If you live with Christ, you will have confidence in him. And in that confidence, you will show forth that you are truly his. But this morning, I want to look at that, that fourth question. Who are this great multitude? Who is this great multitude? Will you join me there in verse 9 as we continue on? Who's the great multitude? Well, first, I want you to see that the span of the salvation is global. The span of the salvation is global here. You see there in verse 9 that after he looked, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language. This salvation was global. After John sees the 144,000, he now sees a great multitude. And this is echoing the promises, is it not? From Genesis chapter 15, when God took Abraham out to the field and said, you will have descendants like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the sea. And so in this massive throng, there's not the hint. And I want to be clear on this. There's no hint of bigotry. There's no hint of racism. There's no hint that we're a superior race to other people. Everyone is equal at the cross. 
And Christian, I need to remind myself of that, that we need to be careful, that we do not think that American Christianity has it all down. Do you know some of the biggest proponents of Christianity are those that are not like us in America? It is from every nation that they stand. In fact, one denomination in recent years who's having struggles, whether they believe the Bible or not, it was the Americans arguing that they should not believe the Bible. And it was representatives from Africa and Australia and Southeast Asia who said, no, we believe this to be true. So please don't think that just in heaven that we will just see people just like us. But in heaven, everyone will be represented in fact, in, in the world today, uh, the stats say that there are nearly 11,250 people groups all around the world. We'll have a quiz on those afterwards, by the way. And of those, about a third or 3,000, excuse me, uh, about a third or so are unengaged. In other words, we've never reached them for the gospel of Christ. We don't have one person that we know of that's a Christian. And about 3,000 of those nearly 11,000 some. And out of that, to put that in a global perspective, that represents nearly 4 billion people that we cannot account for one Christian or know of one Christian amongst those people. Can I just take a time out for a second? Has God been calling someone in here to the world of missions? Here's the, here's the cell. Some of you in here have grown up around Kansas City. This is your home. But I would be remiss in my duty not to say, some in here may be called to those four billion people, and you, God may be putting that on your heart, has put that on your heart, and you haven't stepped out in faith. Some of you, it may be that you need to join for a couple years, or, or a season of your life, or whatever it is, but there are four billion people right now that we think have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. What a weight of responsibility. Do you know how many missionaries we have on the field of Southern Baptists? Eh, give or take four to five thousand. That's a barely a dent into it. But here's the great encouragement. Someday God is going to save someone from all those different people. It could be through us. It could be through a generation after us or hundreds of years from now. But before the second coming, someone from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group is going to come out and hear the gospel and believe the gospel. Aren't you grateful for that? That's why you don't give up praying for your neighbors. You don't give up praying and evangelizing and sharing the gospel with people in your family who don't seem to care a lick about what you have to say. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them because the span of the salvation is global. The nations are going to rejoice. And that's going to be such a day, isn't it? I can't say... I, I went, to, uh, I went to Mexico in, in 2004, in the summer of 2004, because I did not want to do two years of Spanish at William Jewell College. They said, you go for 10 weeks, we'll knock it out for two years. I said, sign me up, please. And I took Spanish, and I can't tell you hardly any Spanish. And if you've taken Span a foreign language before, you know it's like most things in life. You don't keep it up, you either use it or you, you lose it. So it is. But friends, I want to tell you that some of you have gifts and skills that God may be calling you overseas. You say, Darren, out of, out of this little church at Tower View Baptist Church, yes. What about older people, retired or not? God called Moses when he was 80 years old. And for some of you, you're not too far north of that, and you're not too far south of that. And all God's people said, amen. But notice the four things that are said about these people here. First, notice their location. It says, and they were before the throne. These, four, these groups of people were before the throne of God and before the Lamb. 
These people were not just outliers. They weren't just fans. Uh, or, or, or they were followers. They weren't just the, the back row Baptists, so to speak. They were the people who were engaged because everyone in heaven is an active worshiper. How do you know if you're a Christian here? Do you desire to worship God here on this earth? That's a question you ought to ask. The question of 617, who can stand, is it is the redeemed. They are standing before the throne. But notice also their clothing, this clothing that they have here. The clothing is that they are permanently in white robes of victory. They're permanently in something that is covering them that they could not provide themselves. They are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that white covering. We see that a little bit more hashed out uh, in, in verse 14 of chapter 7. If you want to take your eyes down there, it says, And these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but the last time I tried to put grape juice on white and get it out, it didn't work. Or, or blood that I have here on my hand cutting myself in Sunday school, it didn't come out of my clothes very well. But when you trust in the Lamb, He washes everything away. Your past is no longer defining you. Your present doesn't define you. Everything is defined now in Christ. Notice also not only their location and clothing, but their instruments of worship. Did you see how they're worshiping Him here in verse 9? They're clothed in white robes, but they also have palm branches in their hands. Palm branches. What does that signify to you? Kids, today in Sunday school, you went over this, didn't you? You talked about Palm Sunday in Sunday school for many of you. The palms were a show of victory. They were, they were a show of the, the great kings coming in and waving the things before the kings to show the victory that was there. And you notice their confession, lastly. Who, what did they sing about? Well, they said, salvation, verse 10, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, if you're a Christian, you have ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more he can give you. There's nothing more you need. You have everything in Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Deliverance is from him. And notice there that they're also, this is from every tribe, every nation. The Americans don't get more or less than the Africans. The Africans don't get more or less than the Hispanics. The Hispanics don't get more than less than the black African-American community. We are all one before the Lord. What a great joy that will be. And if you don't long for that day someday, check your heart. Look, I could care less whether the Chiefs win or not, as much fun as it is to watch him. I couldn't tell you what the stats of Patrick Mahomes were this year versus 2018. Don't care. I couldn't tell you who won the Super Bowl in 2009. I don't care how many years Tom Brady played and how much money he makes. I don't care if Travis Kelsey's dating or not dating Taylor Swift. But I do care that you care that this is our heartbeat, that we reach the neighborhood with this very vision. I'm not saying watching the Chiefs is sinful. Please don't hear that. But I just pray our priorities are on this more than anything else. And that could be said for anything in your life. The span of salvation is global. But notice, secondly, the span of salvation is also glorious. Look at verses 11 and 12. It's also glorious. Once more here, all the angels. And notice the key phrase there in verse 11, all the angels. There wasn't some angel out, I don't know, falling asleep or, or, or out doing things on earth. All the angels were there. All the angels. How did John know that? I don't know, but by the Spirit, that word all is important there. All the angels were standing. They weren't sitting. 
They were standing around the throne and around the elders and those four living creatures. And what were they doing? They speak not of what God has done, but they speak to who God is. Do you see that difference there? Those in the, the multitude, those great people from every nation said, this is what God has done, but now they say who God is. That's a key turn here. And it goes on to say in verse 12 that they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Amen. And notice the six characteristics that are mentioned here. This is, a, or seven, excuse me. It's like a, 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 a blessing. There's an amen at the start and an amen at the end. Sounds like a good Baptist church sermon, right? Seven things in between. Notice what he says here. The first one is this. The first thing that he says is that blessing. Blessing. This is not on your sheet, just so you know, but the word blessing. Make sure I'm following along. It's a good word, a praise. It's something that's there. They're blessing him. They're, they're literally giving him all the, the good words that you could give. And then secondly, there is glory. There is blessing and glory. Glory is derived from someone's character. It comes from who they are and what they've done. And what God has done is sent forth his son. And that is because he loves you. But more so, he's glorifying himself. You also see, number three, the blessing, glory, and wisdom. Who holds all the wisdom in this world? It's God. He knows everything about you and your life and what is to come. And so they say blessing and glory and wisdom. That word Sophia, it's what we get to derive. We often ask God for wisdom, and we should, because he's the only one that knows all plans. And then you may have a different word here, but notice the fourth thing. There's thanksgiving. This is where we get the word Eucharist. For some of you from a Catholic background, the Eucharist, a thanksgiving time. We consider it to be the Lord's Supper, a memorial, a symbolic nature. But that's where we get the word. And then he says honor, which means to esteem or lift up or, 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 or to honor him. The same word honor there is when Mordecai, if you remember the story of Esther, Mordecai was honored among the people of Persia for his good deeds. And then you see two things that God has at the very end. There's power. That word power there is where we get the word dynamite, dunamis. God has all the power to extend out all his, his, his character through this world and then might. He has the strength, not only the power to do it, but the strength to carry it out. What God could do such things. And so they open with an amen. They end with an amen. Say, so Darren, what's the point of all this? Who's this great multitude? It's people from everywhere, from every tribe. What are they doing? They're worshiping God. What are you going to be doing in heaven? Can I just say it this way? You're not going to be in heaven probably doing your favorite pastime. If you're a golfer, you're probably not going to be hitting strokes every 18 holes and getting holes in one everywhere. If you're a carpenter, you're not going to make perfect carpentry things, probably so. Guys, what are you going to be doing in heaven? One of the primary things you're going to be doing is worshiping God. And if that just bores you out of your mind, can I ask you an honest question? Do you really know Jesus Christ? why one of the marks that we know that people love Jesus is they want to worship with the people of Jesus. There are no individual Lone Ranger Christians. We do it together. There are times and places by God's providence and providential hindrance we can't gather together. But if we love God, we will love the people of God and be in relationship with God as we're in relationship with the people of God. You can get mad at your pastor. You can get mad at your brother and sister. You can get mad at all the things that happen in the church. But the problem is, is often it's a heart issue. And we have that just as much as you do. 
But what we see here is a perfect coming together of the people of God before the holiness of God and the sevenfold blessing of his character. These great multitude are everyone. Do you know back in the 1920s, the pastors who would remain anonymous because they were too scared to show their faces, yet they taught this stuff. The Ku Klux Klan, KKK, taught just as Hitler taught and all the others that only in heaven would be represented by Caucasian Aryan white people. God forbid the thought. And they'd hide themselves behind those goofy-looking masks that they wore. Thank God that he redeems from every people, every tribe, and every nation. Not just the Jewish nations, but the Gentile nations as well, which we represent. So let's talk about that for a minute. And I'm going to go off the script for a moment. I want you to know if you're visiting, this is not usually how we do this, but this is within the context of Revelation 7. And I'm going to give you four statements here about Israel and, and Jesus as it relates today. And I just want to be very clear here. We're not going verse by verse, but it's in the context. What is God going to do with Israel? Isn't that a big question? Politicians talk about it. People pray and put on Facebook, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you're a World War II fan, not fan, but a history buff, you know that in 1948, um, the, the remnant of those left behind from Europe amongst all the Jews of the world were created the, the, the Jewish national state of what we now know as Israel. America's aligned with Israel politically in a lot of ways, kind of its buffer against the Middle East. There's so many questions. But I want to look at this from a biblical perspective because in heaven someday are going to be Jewish people. But these are Jewish people who've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we even get there, let me just say this. If you have a friend who's Jewish, if you know someone who's Jewish, they are not automatically going to heaven because they're Jewish. Any more than you can go to heaven because you go to a Baptist church or your, your daddy's a preacher or your cousin's a Christian or your mom and dad believe in Jesus. A person must choose Jesus themselves. Amen? It's an individual decision. And every one of us has to make that. But what is God going to do with Israel? And next week, we'll look a little bit more about this, but I want to give you four statements this morning. I think that'll be helpful as you go through this very thing. Statement number one is this, is that God chose the people of Israel as his special treasure. God chose the people of Israel as his special treasure. I do not have time to go into all the nuances of this, and so if you want to write these verses down, you're welcome to. But Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6 says this. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. I'll read it from my sheet. It says, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. When God made the world, he made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed by you. Israel was made to be a blessing. Israel was made not to be a frozen chosen, but to be a purposed people to bless other people. That's what Israel was always meant to be. Now, I want to tell you that before I get any further, a lot of these statements are going to get a little bit more specific as we go along. You'll, you'll feel that tension. But number two, Israel who are going to be part of that great multitude, who are listed in part in the first, verse, the first eight verses. Number two is that in the Old Testament, to be part of Israel meant mainly, but not entirely, that you were an ethnic Jew. 
In other words, to be an Israelite in the Old Testament meant that you were born into it, but not necessarily. There were people in the Old Testament who were part of the Jewish nation who were not Jewish by birth. You can probably think of some of those people, can't you? You think of Abram, who was called out from paganism. You think of Ruth, who was brought out from, again, paganism and all those things. And you think of terrible people like Ahab and Jeroboam and Saul who, who, who were Jewish but not really committed to it. Those who were of Israel in the Old Testament were always those who were committed to keeping what God said to keep. And what is that? Go read the Old Testament law and follow him by faith. That's how you became a Jew in that sense. If they, you were blessed if you followed it and you were not blessed if you didn't follow it. So the Old Testament mentions that over and over. In the Old Testament, Israel, ethnic Jews mainly, but not always. So many times we think just because that these people were uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel that they were Jewish people, and that's not always the case. Amy, if you want to put up that next little bit. Ethnicity doesn't equal salvation. Can I say it again? If you're here today and you are a Christian, you're a Christian because God and His grace opened your heart to believe the gospel, and you chose that gospel. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, you believing in God or God prompting you to believe? And the answer is yes. It starts with God, yes. And that great song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Me, old-timers know that song? How did you decide to follow Jesus? You were dead in your sin. The only way you decided to follow Jesus is that God brought you to a place that you believed in Jesus. He loved, you loved because he first loved you. So friends, I want to remind you this morning that just because you're here at this church does not make you any more of a Christian than if you sit down in where you park your car in a garage and call yourself a car because you sit in a garage. You're a Christian because you're a Christian. Your ethnicity or your relationships do not define your salvation. Third thing I want you to notice this morning is that Israel was promised a land if they kept God's covenant. Israel was promised a land if they kept God's covenant. Genesis 15 talks about this. Abraham was promised two things. He was promised children, and he was promised land. And in that, in that came that Abraham had to follow God wholly. He had to follow God wholly. When you think of the nation of Israel, especially in relation to what we see in Revelation chapter 7, you often think about a little strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea. But the point is, is that God put them in that land. Why? So they could be a blessing to the nations. Do you know that God called the Jewish people to be evangelists to all the nations everywhere? It was never about just being this little group of people like this. Everything that God called the nation of Israel to be in the community of people, he's called us in a sense to be in the New Testament. Church should never be like this. We should never be hugging ourselves. We should never be the frozen chosen. We should be out in the highways and byways telling people about this God who loves people from every tribe, every people, and every nation. And you say, Darren, would God ever take away our church? He might. Didn't we go over that in Revelation 2 and 3? There are some churches he was ready to what? Snuff out. Be very careful. But God placed them there for a reason. He put them there so that they might be a blessing. But they only kept that land if they were faithful to it. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? Were they faithful all the time? No. 
It's like one of those great teachers taught me. Israel, if you can think of an old school clock with 12 at the top, 6 at the bottom, 3 on the side, 9 on the side. At 12 o'clock, they were following God. Things were going great. And you get to 3 o'clock, and they're starting to walk away from everything that God told them to do. And by the time they get to 6 o'clock, guess where they're, they're, they're so far away from what God intended? God brings the curses that he promised them. And by 9 o'clock, people are starting to call back to God. We want to follow you again. And by 12 o'clock, they're following him. Is your life ever like that? Yeah, it is. But the promise is, is that they were supposed to keep the covenant. All the laws pointed back to Jesus Christ. It wasn't just about land. It was always about following the covenant God gave them and the covenant-keeping God that God is. Last thing I want to tell you is this. And this may shock some of you, but I hope it doesn't. The rest of the New Testament, number four, confirms that God still has a plan for Israel. But the definition of true Israel now centers on Jesus Christ. There are some who teach that unless we save the nation of Israel that was founded in 1948, we are not good Christians. There are some who teach that unless we go to war every time Israel is at war, that we are not good Christians. Guys, I don't know about you. I've never seen that in any part of this book right here. There are also some who teach on the opposite side that God is done with Israel that he's completely thrown them out, that they won't be in that great multitude that we just read about. But that is not true as well. There is a centerpiece, and it centers on always Jesus Christ. God is not done with Israel, but it's not about land anymore. It's not about keeping a slither of land. Can I tell you, because I know friends over there, one of them is a running buddy I met, and he'll tell you this as well. He said, Darren, I grew up, I, I can speak, he, he lives there, he, he can speak Hebrew. He can tell you all the Old Testament laws. He can do everything, but he'll tell you, first off, I don't believe a lick of it. I'm an atheist, and I don't care, but I tell you everything that you want to know about it. Just because the nation is labeled Israel does not make it any more godly than us calling ourselves a Christian nation when we murder 50 million people and put a label on what is marriage in this country that is not God's word and run the list of sins that we have. We are either centered on Christ or we are not centered at all. He is the equilibrium. So, friends... Jesus established 12 sons of Jacob when he selected the apostles. His life mirrored Israel's history, and he made that connection. And everything that Jesus taught, he taught, it was not about a nation on this earth. It was about a people that he was redeeming from all the nations. Guess what we call that? The great multitude of Revelation chapter 7. Is God done with Israel? No. But it's not about a piece of land anymore. Say, Darren, are you saying we shouldn't support Israel? No. Look, we can disagree or agree on the political ramifications about what what I've said. But the spiritual reality is this. What is true Israel? It's all those who believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Who are Abraham's children? Go read John chapter 8. Abraham's children are those who believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That before Abraham was, he is. Who are Abraham's children? If you are a Christian, you are a child of Abraham. And yes, I'm going to sing the song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on. 
If you do not know that song, go look it up on YouTube later. It'll help you out. My point of all this is to say, God is not done with Israel. But the nation of Israel that we see now is not any more godly than any other nation. Please hear that clearly. The Jews need the gospel as much as Americans need the gospel. They need saving. They need people. Do you know that our IMB, International Mission Board, has people over there right now witnessing for Jesus? Say, Darren, how do you know all this? I can give you plenty of verses. Romans 2, Revelation 2, Revelation 3, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, Revelation 1, Revelation 5, etc., etc., etc. The point of it is, the church is not Israel today. Israel is not so supported that we have to fight for everything on this land. The greatest way we support Israel, as God shows it in Scripture, is to share the gospel with everyone, including Jews, wherever they may be. And they will be part of the great multitude. Smash the dispensationalist bubble, smash the replacement theology bubble. What the apostles taught was not a nation. The apostles taught the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and believe, just as Jesus said. What does this mean for you as we close? First off, if you belong to Jesus, rejoice that everything we just talked about is bound up in Jesus Christ for you. That all the Old Testament came to bear, all the prophecies are fulfilled. There's not one jot or tittle, to use Jesus' words, that has not come to be. He promised it, and if you're in Christ, you have very great and precious promises. I remember when we were coming home from Boston uh, about a year and a half ago, it's hard to believe, we were going through LaGuardia in New York. Many of you have flown out of there, in and out of there at various points in your life. And I just remember seeing, and I had no, I, I just, we just don't know that area of the country well. I remember seeing just a great, um, uh, what we would call now an Orthodox Jewish community. They built a brand new airport up there, and they have a section just for the Orthodox Jews of that area, the Bronx area, to worship in. It's quite amazing. And, um, you know, it, it just, it's just a great reminder that we don't have to please God. Guys, there is no temple for them to sacrifice in anymore. Did you know that? There's no place for them to kill sheep and goats and bulls and calves for remission of sins. Their prayer and hope is that God someday will have justice on them and the weighing out of their scales. But in Christ, if you've trusted him, you are free and free indeed. Second thing is this, how should we respond? You should continue to pray for all those, what Paul calls natural branches. Go read about it in Romans 11, to be brought back in. Pray for Jews everywhere to believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, Darren, I don't know any Jewish people. It doesn't mean you can't pray for them. Ask God to bring them back. Ask God to save them. Ask God to bring them back to the fold. And God will answer your prayers. I often think, to be quite honest with you, that we don't think they need it. But they need it. They need the gospel. And the last thing is this, and this may not be for many of you in this room, but if you do not trust or treasure this Jesus, you must turn to him. If there's anything Revelation 7 has taught us, it's that the only way to be counted in that great multitude is to be counted by the one who's being worshipped in that great multitude. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you died today, honestly, if you died today, and God asks you that great evangelism explosion question, why should I let you into my heaven? And if your answer is anything but Jesus died for me and gave his life for me, 
he's going to say, sorry. If you're here today and you're trusting in anything other than Jesus for getting to heaven, being forgiven of your sins, finding peace in life, meaning in life, can I say, hashtag, you're doing it wrong. Trust in Jesus and him alone. Friends, I pray those two questions are helpful to you. I pray that you pray for our Jewish friends around the world and missionaries who will reach out to them. But praise God, all of us who trust in Christ will be there with them. Will you pray with me? After we pray, I'm going to give some instructions about the Lord's Supper. Let's go before the Lord as we prepare our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you, we thank you that, Lord, your kingdom is not just a slither on the Mediterranean Sea coast. We thank you that the kingdom of God is much wider and bigger than we know, through a narrow gate to be sure, Lord, as we know. But Father, we thank you that the kingdom of God is not just as we see it, that you are doing 10,000 more things than we can comprehend in every moment of every day, yet we may only ascertain one of them. Father, thank you that in your providence you hold and uphold and govern and, and see fit to do your will in this world over and over and over again. And it always comes back to that equilibrium. Can't get the words out, Lord, but you know. The centering on Christ. And we thank you. Father, I pray for our lives, for individuals, for marrieds, for young and old and singles, and anyone in between, that our lives would be centered on Jesus. We're not perfect, Lord, but help us. As we partake in the Lord's Supper and remember what you have done for us, we pray that you are honored in how we partake, and we pray we are honored in how we celebrate. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and it's all because of what he has done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.